G'day and welcome. This is Eric Perez. Thank you for joining us again on Talking Leadership. I'd like to introduce today's podcast guest. She is the Director of Knowledge with the Australian Institute of Police Management. Can I welcome to the podcast, Dr. Victoria Harrington. How are you, Vicky? I'm great, thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation to join you. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you for um, accepting the invitation. So, okay, let's start where I always start with the podcast. You've had leadership experience. You're, you're doing what you're doing with the AIPM. What's been your journey in 200 words or less to get to where you are today? It probably makes sense. I'm not sure how many of your listeners understand what the AIPM is, but it probably makes sense to just flesh that out a little bit more. So sure. we're a national common police service, which means we're owned by all the police jurisdictions across Australia and New Zealand. And our board, if you like, is all the commissioners of the you know the jurisdictions across Australia and New Zealand. Our focus is providing leadership and development and educational opportunities for uh, executives across the public safety environments. So while we're owned by police, we actually think quite expansively about our role across public safety, including fire service and sort of some of the broader emergency services as well. So we have this kind of broad remit, if you like, to provide education and, and leadership development across public safety. I started at the AIPM about 10 years ago now, having transitioned across from a traditional academic role. I'm a criminologist by training. I have PhDs looking at ability in prisons. For example, I've got a long history of working as a researcher across the criminal justice system. And about 10 years ago, I was tapped on the shoulder and asked to come across to set up an inaugural research and learning function at AIPM, which was a little bit about thought leadership, a little bit about educational accreditation, so managing sort of the accreditation architecture, which governs the, the um, our graduate programmes, and a little bit about sort of thinking what the strategic direction in terms of research and learning was for, for the Australian Institute of Police Management. Now that over time has moved into a slightly bigger, bigger role, more encompassing of knowledge more broadly. So I suppose what my role at the moment is, is the, the creation, the curation and the communication of knowledge related to public safety leadership. So when I think about leadership, I, I actually think less about myself in leadership and more intellectually about what does that mean for the public safety professions? What are the challenges we face? What's the literature telling us? What might we choose to do differently? So that's really kind of where I sit, if you like, in the context of thinking about leadership. From a macro perspective, that's quite an interesting place to be because a lot of the leaders I've spoken to on the podcast have been in that role themselves and are talking from that perspective and you're coming from it from a slightly different angle again which is great because it it allowed me to ask some of the questions I've got in a slightly different way and you'll see what I mean when I when I pose some of the questions to you because the almost that outsider effect that you're looking at leadership from an outside lens that, that you're not in it because you're delivering courses or delivering thought leadership to to your clientele is that fair call? I think that's, that's absolutely a fair call at one level of analysis. And I think another level of analysis is what is leadership, right? So, you know, essentially, you know, I look at my kids, I've got two small children, uh, four and six, and I look at the way they play with their friends and I see leadership emerging, right? Because it's about, well, how do we coordinate this group of, you know, entirely self-interested, you know, early primary age children uh, to actually affect a game that's working well or to affect you know you know an adventure that they're they're going on so I I think it depends what you think of as leadership if you think of leadership as a formal authority role where you're imbued with this power to be able to do whatever you want effectively well sure you know right I don't run the organization <laughs> you know in policing you know I'm a, I'm a effectively an unsworn or an academic so you know even if you had a positional authority I'm not sure how much actual authority you would have leadership is also about creating coalitions leadership is also about generating um, you know support behind an idea it's about being able to I guess weave if you like a system that enables you to progress the things that you do so the fact that I came in as an inaugural member of the AIPM to look at research and learning and set up a research and learning portfolio the fact that we've managed to do that successfully the fact that you know we, we have been able to demonstrate our value to the profession around thought leadership I think you know maybe by another name is 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 leader is personal leadership as well 
opportunity to look at things from both sides my natural inclination because I'm an academic is to intellectualize these things but you know you probably could and analyze the work that personally I've done at a leadership level too but it's not a natural place for me to do that you've gone to an area that I wanted to expand on in these podcasts at some stage and I'm, I'm going to do it now so this is an inaugural step to the side but looking forward how do you define leadership for yourself and I think from the definitions that have come in a roundabout way from my guests because I haven't really strictly asked well give me your exact definition of leadership and I think if I did I would get a slightly different definition from each person that I'm talking to they'll be some commonalities obviously but I think the and I, and I bring my own lens here I'm, I'm doing my own postgraduate studies in leadership development and from what I'm reading and the more that I talk to people that the complex nature of how people interact at work let alone what leadership looks like in a work context there are subtleties and there are some complexities there that people don't often think about and so again this is great to have this discussion because there are layers to this and I guess from the other side of the coin and, and something I want to do a lot more in these podcasts and, and thank you for this discussion because it's solidified it in my own mind that I'm talking to a lot of really, really good hearted people that want to share their stories around leadership or what their thoughts are on leadership, like the conversation we're having now. But one thing that I haven't done a lot of is talk to people who are not leaders, but are the led. What are their views of leadership? What do they want to see in their leaders? And I'm trying to do this in a 360 way to get every aspect of leadership I can talked about as much as is humanly possible on a podcast. And one of the things that I'm interested in is, is asking the question of those that aren't in leadership positions, what do you look for in a leader? Do you want to be inspired? Do you, what, what do you, what do you seek from them? Because I often get what the leader says are the, their key leadership capabilities and what they need to be effective leaders, which is important to know, but they're also leading people. So what do the led want to see and I don't think that's often asked and I think there's some um, gold in that conversation and it's not the conversation that we're going to have I've had some podcast guests in the last couple of weeks that have done the same and, and I keep coming back to this issue that the definitional aspects of leadership are important so let me ask you the question straight out for you how do you define leadership it's, it is a good question and for me I suppose it's about making progress on tricky problems, on wicked problems, on complex problems. It's about making progress. Um, but I, I, I like the point you make about asking the led what they want from their leaders. And we all can kind of call to mind those people we've really enjoyed working for, who have inspired us, who have challenged us, who have lifted us up. And we can also, I'm sure, spend significant amounts of time bitching about you know our leader right oh, but we won't but we won't do that we'll, we'll stay positive we'll... <laughs> I, like, I've, I've been i've been really blessed in my career i think about the, being able I, to work i haven't i haven't really so awesome i don't people. want to open up that rabbit hole but yeah i, I get <laughs> I, I get i get where you're coming from yes but the, but the point point i wanted to make was that you know when you think oftentimes when you ask people what they want and actually what they really want they might be two different things so Ron Heifetz, who's a professor at Harvard, talks about, you know, what we look for in leaders is direction, protection and a sense of order. If you don't give direction, protection and a sense of order, then you're thwarting people's expectations about what leaders should do. However, if you give direction, protection and a sense of order, you're not actually engaging in leadership because leadership is about making progress on complex problems. And this means that you need to, you know, create in some ways a sense of um, upsetting the status quo you need to, you need to challenge people and Ron Heifetz talks about you know hold people in the sense of disequilibrium which is this kind of uncomfortable space between going righto I know what I'm doing happy days I'll just crack on the boss has told me what to do and the boss saying you know what I don't know what we're doing because actually we're trying to make progress and actually, this is going to feel uncomfortable. This is going to challenge your underlying beliefs. It's going to challenge the kind of extant culture in our organization or our society. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. So I, I have when, when, I, when I think about asking the lead, as it were, what they want from their leaders, my suspicion is that they will say someone who empowers them or someone, you know, all the same sorts of things that I would say if you ask me. But actually, what I think they really want is direction, protection and a sense of order. And when that's thwarted, then I think the real work of leadership starts. It's interesting to me that you talk about what people will say 
that they think I might or someone wants to hear about what they want out of a leader versus what the, the deeper underlying values and, and, or, and or capabilities they want out of their leaders. And maybe offline, we'll talk about how to get to those because it, it's a research area for me being a, an early career researcher that I really want to get more into because I, I guess, and I, I can never say this without with a straight face, that I've now mastered what it is that leadership is and, and I'll go forth and, and uh, do something something else to advance some um, advanced thinking. One of the papers that I read in doing my thesis is around how many theories of leadership there are. And one paper that was written in 2016 uh, by Din and her colleagues identified 66 different leadership theories. And when I started to look at them, I went, oh my God. So what, what I'm seeing is that the constant questioning and looking at leadership from the different lenses is a healthy thing to do. And it's part of the academic process and the research process. But the other thing I think I'm seeing, and and I don't think I'm the first one to identify this, so I'm not going to claim it, is that the more useful theories into the future, I think and this is just a guess here, will be those that integrate multiple different disciplines around what does the leadership construct look like from a a multidisciplinary view of the world, not just one field looking at leadership. Um, That's that's my guess. Why I say that, look, we might leave that for another podcast, but enough to say that it's a complex area and it's only becoming more interesting for me because until I was uh, sort of challenged on, well, you're just talking to leaders, who else have you excluded from this picture? And it got me thinking, well, all right, so those that are in the workplace, um, asking those questions that I, that I brought up before is going to be interesting. But then I guess the, the flip side to that is putting a proposition to people that aren't in any particular leadership role. And I'm not talking about power, power relationships, just if you go to work and you've got bosses and you've got leaders, if if the proposition was put to the lead, the staff, the, the people that make the organization run, what is it that um, ultimately is is good leadership? What does good leadership, what does good look like to you in terms of that leadership space? I think you might get some interesting answers around what does good feel like? Because the, this, this idea that everyone's going to say the same thing, I don't think is going to wash because what one thing that is uh, been brought up to me several times, either on the podcast or in preparation for these um, discussions is when you're talking about leadership in general, uh, the question often becomes, is it a, a power thing or can you be a leader without the title and demonstrate leadership behaviors that will take the organization forward and that opened up this whole new world of thinking around well what about leadership in the volunteer space because leaders in that space aren't being paid to do roles that are volunteer roles they're there for other reasons other than getting paid and so the profit motive is not one of the elements of being in a leadership position in the volunteer space there are it's a different it's another complicated space but enough to say this topic is only getting more interesting to me and so um, these conversations are the ones that I think people need to be engaging in if they have any interest in this and the fact that we all go to work and we have these dynamics at play understanding what these things look like is I don't think necessarily a bad thing. Do you believe that there is a qualitative difference between the leadership and managerial function? If you don't mind, just going back to the previous point you made about can you be a leader without a title? And I think absolutely, that's essential. I think we can. And I th- if anything, all frameworks and theories are flawed, but some are useful. So I don't know that there is this kind of, you know, silver bullet theory out there that's all of a sudden going to reveal itself and we'll all be ah that's what leadership's about because these things are contested right and that's fine and that's good and that's helpful to get us to sort of to provoke us to think deeply about leadership but maybe it shouldn't be our our guide as to what we should do next so I sit in this applied space I still feel like I'm an academic but I sit in this applied world where I'm interested in what are the useful bits of theories that we can take to either help make sense of what we're experiencing as leaders in public safety organizations so you know and also what might be some of the challenges that we face as we are navigating this difference in many ways between management and leadership as well as we're navigating this space between status quo and making progress so what are the useful bits of those theories that we can we can we can move across but it's absolutely essential i think that, every, that your title uh, in many ways is not a, that that's just a title right that doesn't actually confer your ability to uh, engage in leadership behavior and we see throughout public safety organizations there are many people across the organization right down the bottom of the pyramid 
who are exercising leadership on a daily basis. So in some ways, having a title can be a hindrance to being able to um, engage in leadership activity because but with a title, people def- automatically defer to your power, to your authority. Um, so you don't need to le- use leadership, right? You just say, I say, you do, away we go. That's not leadership, right? That's, that's, that's using your, your power. That's your, using your command, I suppose. It's command and control. But actually, does that actually help us make progress? Or does that just kind of reinforce uh, the things that we're, we're already doing? But to your point about leadership and management, which is, you know, it's, it's one of those ones that you hear a lot. You know, is there a difference between leadership and management? And, you know, part of me is like, you know, <laughs> um, how can I say this politely? <laughs> a bit bored with that question, I suppose. Yeah, sure. I don't mean that to be offensive in any way, because I think it's a natural question that people have as they come into this leadership space. So what's the difference in leadership and management? I'm like, does it matter? <laughs> maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm, um, I'm not in their shoes. Maybe I'm not thinking, thinking things from their perspective. But, you know, management for me is about, you know, you manage a process, it's procedural. It's often embedded in our standard operating procedures. It's following the rules and ensuring everybody else does the same. In my mind, that's kind of in a nutshell what I see management as. But, you know, obviously leadership is maybe thinking outside of that structure. It's about thinking outside of what the existing rules, regulations, procedures, um, preferences, cultures are. It's about almost see, it's about seeing beyond, if you like, this iron cage of bureaucracy that we find ourselves in in public safety organizations and, and trying to find and weave and make sense of a way forward a, a way to take us to the next place without necessarily knowing exactly what that next place is so that for me is kind of a the difference my definition is becoming more refined about what i think leadership is and for me it's definitely a being of service to others that for me philosophically is where i come from with leadership and i hope i'm putting that into practice in my in my nine to five job that i'm trying to do for others not just for me i mean you know what's in a title when i was younger title meant a lot more than it does now i think i'd rather just have a nice conversation and extend my brain out then worry about chasing the title and unfortunately when you're young you don't know that maybe that's a hollow pursuit because does it really matter like going back to your question before does it matter if you have the title or not if people are following you if you're inspiring people to do better and then you do better or you're helping to be a conduit for better practice of others and being that uh what's the what's the word that they use being a, a good faith stakeholder in whatever industry that you're in i think that's a good thing long term and i think i think it goes to your point about or the earlier point about what is leadership right because if i think we have we grow up in our communities in our families and certainly in our schools to kind of believe that the leader is the person standing at the front pointing the direction and if you think of if you think of that as oh well that i have to get to be the person at the front leading the direction in order to make progress on whatever issues are concerning me and in my world is public safety issues but actually if you recognize that leadership is not necessarily about having the most pips on your shoulder or being at the front leading the charge leadership is emergent from the group that you operate with you have power without title you may not choose to use that power but you absolutely have power and you know even if you think you turn the turn the issue on its head and you think about how many quote unquote you know cultural change initiatives have been through policing and public safety organizations and have had minimal change minimal different may have made a minimal difference so it doesn't it almost doesn't matter if you're leading the charge at the front the power is being exerted by people elsewhere in your organizational system so that at the very least should tell you hang on we've got a lot of power how might we choose to use that? so i think that's an important piece that we might aspire to be the person at the front of the class or the person at the head of the family or the person at the top of the organization because we feel that's the only way we will have sufficient power in order to kind of shape the organization the cause whatever in our to, to the way that we, we we think things should look but actually that's you're probably fine when you get there <laughs> you maybe aren't able to pull as many levers as you think you are and it can be a deeply i guess unsatisfactory or unsatisfying place to find oneself and I wonder oftentimes as we see people 
climb the greasy pole and you know do everything for the promotion because when with the promotion of course i will be able to exert more power sure you might have more authority sure you might be able to kick a few more asses but actually if you really want to make a difference you need to think about your leadership um, and also the leadership resources you have within your organization through these other power networks uh, in a slightly different way. And so that's why we, that's how we talk and how we think about leadership at the AIPM. And that's the conversations we have with public safety professionals who are already at very senior levels. So we they come to us when they are, you know, uh, either upper middle management or on the cusp of senior executive. And that's when we you know, you, you've, got, you've got a bit of experience behind you that says, you know what, I, uh, I tried to do X and that didn't work. And OK, well, let's let's unpack why. Let's actually understand what leadership looks like. It's a good thing to hear that there are organisations that have those conversations with their members. Because I think from, a, I just guess, from a dollar and cents perspective that there are upting millions, hundreds of millions of dollars spent around the globe on leadership development and trying to get better leadership. And I, I have a feeling now, I don't have research to back this, so this is a gut feel only, and I'm sure I'll get shot down. But my, my sense of this is that a lot of the leadership programs that are offered are really are, are tailored to, in some respects, deliver very good and high quality professional development, but whether or not they hit the mark in terms of long-term change in how you are as a leader, I'm not sure. And it's not it's not a critique of the people delivering the programs. It's more, how do you set up a system to track whether there's been an effect to the, the training or the program that you've gone under longer term? I think I've learned more from the lumps and bumps of doing the job and having the high pressure situations and having some wins and some losses and that's where I've done a lot of my learning and not necessarily any training that I've received. And again, it's not a critique of those delivering the trainings. I think like anything, 99% of those that are delivering these things have got good intentions and are, are trying to deliver something that they think is going to make a difference in the workplace, which is great. I struggle with finding program that I've, I've yet to see yet that the, the participants are tracked over time, like longitudinal work to say, okay, you did this training in year X. It's now five years later. What was the change over that time in your leadership capability? And can you really peg that change to the training or is it because you've had life experience? I'm not quite sure what the answer to that question is. So um, again, interesting space. Myself personally don't deliver leadership training. So for those listening, please don't jump down my throat on this. I'm just expressing some views. They could be wrong. They're just a view. It's one opinion. Um, my opinion is based on the industries that I've worked in. And I, I think the always the, the test for this is if you believe you got something out of that training and it, it's made you a better leader, then great. But I think if organizations and the public and, and in my industry, public monies are used to develop your industry, then you need to be accountable for those monies. And I'm not sure for every bit of training in every industry sector, not just where I work, but across the board, if I ask the question, are we getting better leaders? Sorry, I'll, I'll rephrase that. Are we getting more effective leadership from those interventions or what is happening from those interventions? And it's hard to track because how do you set something like that up? And then what metrics do you use that are going to be applicable to, is it industry specific? Is it global? You know, my industry, which is the commercial seafood industry, is very different to the sector that you work in. I don't know where there's, there's going to be some commonalities, obviously, but there's going to be some very big differences. So what are your thoughts on that, Vicky? Yeah, look, there's a, there's a few things in there that I think are worth, worth thinking about. And the, the first thing is, you know, the impact that a two week program or a you know, six month online, you know, qualification are going to have on one's own leadership behavior is always going to subsequent leadership behavior is always going to be a little bit questionable. When particularly when you think about, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I watch my kids play. And I recognize that they are learning about leadership. They are learning about how to coordinate a group of people from that age and they're four and six, right? So it's, you know, it's, this is a lifelong journey that folk are on to, you know, get to my middle age now and think, okay, well, what kind of leader am I? Or what kind of leadership do I engage in? Or what does the system need? How can I best navigate my environment? So, so I, I suppose on the one hand, you know, okay, well, let's think about leadership as a lifelong journey rather than just, um, or learning about leadership as a lifelong journey rather than just something I picked up from a course I went on so I think that's that's a really important point because it goes to the second point about how do you measure the impact that that course you've gone on has 
because this course is happening in the context of probably a 20 year professional career, maybe a 40 year, you know, life, life. So how do you actually measure the unpick the particular impact that that program has had? Now, we I couldn't agree with you more that you have to be accountable for the expenditure of public funds. And that includes in leadership development. I also recognize that measuring the success of leadership development programs is a problem across professions and across the entire bazillion dollar industry of leadership development what we did at AIPM so we did want to invest in thinking about how we could measure the success of our programs because we wanted to be able to tell the jurisdictions that were coming to our programs that you were getting bang for buck so we had you know we had a a reasonably traditional pre-post measurement um you know research or evaluation uh, schedule we looked at the self-reported confidence uh, abilities if you like along a range of executive capabilities which are set out by the Australian Public Service so we looked at their the um, senior executive leadership capability framework and we were able to say okay well this is what we should be able to achieve through an executive leadership program so how do you look how do you feel about yourself before the program how do you feel about yourself after the program and then we did a longitudinal follow-up follow-up you know uh, one two years later how do you feel about it now so we were able perhaps or we felt more comfortable being able to say look there is a if you were like this before And then you're a bit different afterwards. And if that is a difference that maintains into the longer term, well, then we can be reasonably confident that the only thing that's changed is this two week block that you were, you know, manly doing your. um, Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. Yep. So we were able to do able to do that. But we tried also to, you know, um, triangulate, if you like, one's own assessments of how awesome I am (laughs) along with you know what my manager thought of me and also or what my uh, colleagues thought of me it's much more tricky to do to try and you know encourage people to fill in surveys number one that's a perennial research problem right and then trying to again align what the individual felt versus what the manager or the subordinate felt and also then trying to hold in mind yes but other people's expectations of leadership are not necessarily as not necessarily a more valid assessment of what leadership is what leadership is is you are engaging in for all of the reasons we spoke before about expectations around direction protection a sense of order whether or not that's being thwarted whether or not thwarting that is a good thing even if it doesn't feel like it short term it might be a good thing long term so there are all of these sorts of swirling challenges that we face but what we found (laughs) in a nutshell and we published this research it's in policing and society and which is a kind of a big journal in our in our space what we found that people had like a noticeable difference post program in the way that they felt about their abilities to meet these senior executive leadership capabilities we found that that was an effect that was maintained into the medium term at least we haven't you know, you'd need to keep going for another 10 years or so. But we were able to then turn around to our jurisdictions and say, well, you know, if you extrapolate, if you like the value add that you get from having, you know, engaged in this particular program, you can extrapolate based upon an expectation that these people will be continue to be in the job for another 13, 15 years or whatever, you can extrapolate. Okay, well, what's the value add to my organisation based upon individuals? Oh, I see. I see. Yes, yes, yes. I was going to say um, maybe we, maybe people in this field, not we, but people in this field need to do something like seven up. So follow managers from day one and follow them for 28, 35 years and see how they develop over that time and what intervention uh, had an, uh, had an impact. Yeah. I, I, yeah but I, what impact, what impact will following people have in and of itself? I think it's the, it's the Hawthorne effect, the, uh, the psychological you know, phenomenon where your behavior changes just because it's being observed. So you have all these kind of, right. you, know, you know, confounding variables, if you like, when you try and measure, well, okay, well, maybe we do follow people up every six years. But, you know, I tell you what, if someone tells me they're coming to check on my leadership in two years time, I might be lifting my game in a way I might not otherwise be. So, oh, I uh, see, I see. It's, well. Which is not to say that that's not valid, but it is to say that it's tricky. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I, and I don't know, I don't know what to do about that, but I think we need to keep trying. Yeah, sure. And, and that, that's the, um, that's what drew me to wanting to do postgraduate studies in this area is there's always a question there to be 
engage with. I think where my preference lies, and it's just a preference that um, you can use as many tick and flick sheets and questionnaires as you like. And always have the perennial problem of getting people to engage with questionnaires, particularly you know, with people's attention spans now being measured in, in microseconds, not, not, not minutes or hours you know, on a survey that are the talking to people and getting that rich data from qualitative research for me is something that is not just an adjunct to quantitative work. I think for me, the that next level of thinking around where do we go with some of the thinking around leadership is in having discussions and getting people to talk about their experiences with this stuff to see what are the commonalities that come through because all the things that you said before about well people will answer certain ways if you put them on the spot there are always your your limitations with any type of research method but uh, from again from a personal perspective being able to have the conversation means a richer data set in my mind than just a tick and flick on a survey now that again I'm not denigrating those that work years on survey work it, it's it has its place my suggestion is that it, you can enhance those processes by talking to people and having questions that get to the nub of what you're trying to address now you know with all, all those issues around anonymity and you don't want people to stick their neck out if they don't want to but I think having the conversation has, has been worthwhile for me and and uh, I've been asked the question are you doing these podcasts as a way to extend your research no this was an offshoot of me getting into this space I, I have a, a, a an interest in people I think uh, people is where that my headspace is at and being able to talk to someone and tease out what they're thinking is is critically important to have these discussions because we all go off and do our day-to-day jobs and uh, for those in in areas like yourself where you're you're engaged in that world of leadership from your lens your perspective there's things that you can draw on for any industry from what you're learning and you would hope uh, and I think the the most effective leaders that I've uh, encountered read literature from different fields to try and learn from other ways of doing things in uh, in their space. So CEOs that I've interviewed, I said, I want to see what CEOs in similar industries are doing to me and then in industries that aren't similar to mine to learn from what their their experiences are and how they made decisions. And that that's something that came up quite, that's come up quite a bit is this underlying idea that Ultimately, leaders have to make decisions and they have to have the best information they can at the time to make an informed decision if they can. Now, not in every context will you have the time to do that, but I think if you can learn from others, you can help hone your craft at making a a, a better decision than you otherwise might have if you didn't talk to other people. And that that for me, for me, this is this is a personal view. I'm not basing this on any research. And why I say what I'm saying is so that you've got some context. Vicky is uh, mentoring is where I'm going with that. That um, I think I've become better at the, the, the skill of leadership in my industry sector because I've talked to some really good leaders that I look up to and I I, I see as role, role models for me that I can ask some questions in confidence and say, look, I made this call or I'm about to make a call. This was my process. This is my thinking. Really good colleagues will say, hang on, why, why are you making this call? What are you basing it on? And when you actually explain where you're going with your reasoning, they're like, no, no, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Have you considered something this? And just that one little bit of help might make you help you avoid um, putting your foot in it when you don't necessarily have to. And it's, it's what it's taught me professionally and personally is I don't have every damn answer, but I know I can go to some people to try and get a better decision out um, when it's critical for me to make that. So yeah, I, I tend to draw from from learning from others and try and incorporate that as much as I can into my own practice. Now, does that work every time? Hell no, but um, I, I realize that I've got to keep learning. I really like your point before, and I think it's worth restating that if leadership is important, then lifelong learning in that space is something that I think the most effective leaders engage in. Because if you stop learning, I think you stop moving ahead. Person, my personal view. Yeah, look, and I think it's a really good point. I think what I would add to that is that um, what we hope to achieve at AIPM is create reflective practitioners. So I think there is value, very genuine value in mentoring, genuine value in having a a cadre of trusted colleagues or friends or that can be critical of you and give you some full frank feedback and can also I guess be a a safe place for bouncing ideas around absolutely but I wonder if actually we 
fully maximize our ability to learn from ourselves as well. And so by being reflective, I guess what you're able to do is learn also from your own experiences. So often in public safety in particular, the pace of work is such and the pressures are so high that you know finding time to breathe and to just go, well, that was a terrible decision or that didn't play out as much I wanted it to, or actually that went quite well we don't I don't think we carve enough time we don't spend enough time we don't value sufficiently that part of the learning journey so if we can you know encourage folk after they've come to the AIPM to embed more reflection in their daily lives however that may look for them I'm not suggesting that people carve out an hour of their diary and sit there and reflect but you know there are ways and means that you do that. Maybe you're someone who you know, does that in the shower. <laughs> Maybe you're someone who goes for a walk after work. Who knows? And honestly, who cares? But <laughs> you can do it whatever way you want, so long as you do it. Because I think that's learning from oneself, being able to critically reflect on the experiences that we've had and you know, not try and rework it in our brain to save ourselves a little bit of un- discomfort. So, you know, oh, you know, I was a complete rock star in that meeting and you know that's why nobody spoke up and no no maybe maybe you dominated the meeting it depends on the person vicky i think and and thank you for bringing this up because uh this has come up before in this podcast series around this idea about the 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 person who will be introspective and look at their practice and try and tease out what did i learn from that and making time for that's important and i think uh, with the modern pace of work, we, we sometimes forget to do it. And we're all human, so I, I can get why that happens. I mean, uh, the the kinds of weeks of some friends have shared with me in their workplaces, you think, wow, did you get a chance to sleep? And, you know, being always on the go sometimes doesn't allow for that reflective time. And you have to actually purposely do that to get an outcome is is to make that time and like you said you're not going to take i've yet to meet uh someone in in the corporate sector that will say i take it an hour every day for me time to think it just doesn't it doesn't happen and i get that so you, you do it wherever you can going to the gym going for a bike ride you know spending time watching tv and zoning out and your brain sort of wandering and, and doing whatever it needs to do when it's not fixed on a blue screen of a computer and so on. I guess one of the uh, one of the things that you brought up there about the reflective stuff as a, as a critical, in my mind, leader capability, one of the questions I've asked people regularly, and I, I would like to get your take on this from whatever perspective you'd like to bring to it, do you believe there are a set of core or key leader capabilities that make for more effective leadership? I mean, I think we've got a range of capability frameworks in the public sector that sort of speak specifically to that point. So there is, I guess, an accepted wisdom that that must be the case, right? Because that's why we've got all these capability frameworks. Yeah, I don't don't like that term, accepted wisdom. I I think I I, I rail at that because who's accepted wisdom and and has it been tested? You know, and what what I was going to say, sorry to interrupt, is I, I used to be in the public service and I saw those documents and my eyes would just glaze over going, really, this is what this is what good leadership looks like. And I'm thinking, wow, I've met some really good people in the public service and they tick off some of these boxes, but not all of them. So when you say accepted wisdom, I, I often bristle at that term going, okay, so how often is that accepted wisdom tested to maybe help develop the next cohort of leaders? Maybe we need to follow and do something different, but for public service being what it is. So this is my view. You, uh, you're working in there. So I, I won't um, ask you for an opinion, but definitely from having experienced it myself, I think the public service, at least at the federal level where I used to work is working within a gigantic lumbering beast that I think sometimes is just going through the motions for the sake of it. And, you know, when I was in the public service, I was very junior. So I didn't have enough now to ask the question about, well, you've got a framework here. Is it really applicable now? Like you just, you can, you're more compliant. I think when you're a junior professional, at least I was, that I would just listen to those in charge and not ask the question. But now with, with, uh, with the benefit of some experience, Whenever anyone says to me, "Well, we've got a framework," well, okay, I'll 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 put it to the test and see whether or not it it holds any water outside 
uh, outside the system in which it operates. And I, I think you need those people asking those questions. Now, I'm not, again, not a critique of the people that put it together, but if somebody said to me, well, we review these things every couple of years to stay current, we want to be on top and be, be on the cutting edge of what these things look like, great. But if I ask the question, let's say at the state level, um, I don't know if Queensland have a similar framework to the feds, but if I ask the question, when was the last time this framework for skills for your SES or senior leaderships was reviewed? I, I don't know if they wouldn't tell me it was five, 10 years ago, or it's been there for the last 20 years. And it seems to work for us so we don't touch it. Like, anyway, I have my issues with the public sector, as you might hear. So uh, please cut me down if you like. But I, I, I think in, in any sector, whether it's public sector or, or private sector, that I think, uh, and I'm, I'm glad to hear you say it before, that you've got to keep learning and thinking. And part of that process is challenging existing norms to say, is this really the best we can do or do we need to review some of our practice um definitely in the sectors that i've worked in um i think sometimes it's taken for granted and people just assume the skill sets are there without sort of asking the question if we don't have a framework for what good leadership or sorry effective leadership looks like should we and do you need to have it at all yeah so if i could if i could just finish my thought previously what i was saying was that there is a we have these frameworks in the public sector. Um, so there is this accepted wisdom that, yes, you can kind of articulate exactly what it is that you're looking for leadership, looking for in leadership. And, yes, those are used, um, you know, when we come to write our promotion pitches and things like that. Of course, you know, you, you kind of tick off, yes, you know, uh, achieves results, you know, has integrity and personal drive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it might be. My, my scepticism around those, of course, lies at what's the evidence base for having picked those. It's not with the end of, I think people, I think what it is, is emblematic of the fact that you have people in the public sector that are trying really hard to get a handle on what we want more of and how we might articulate that in a way that makes it a rewarded behaviour, which means we might get more of it. So I can sit, there's good intentions behind it, behind having these frameworks, I think. And actually, you know, maybe, maybe, they, maybe they are way more helpful than having nothing. I think, though, that what we're, what, how we're failing that process in kind of thought leadership, in, in academia, in people engaged in developing an evidence base for things that emerge in a capability framework is that that, that kind of, thinking that kind of research that kind of empirical um empirical data is very tricky to do for all the reasons we spoke about earlier about well how do you measure success what does it actually mean so we have these theories that tell us you know a b and c and we can talk about transformational leadership until the cows come home and because it's it's easy to measure because there's a survey so actually of all the leadership theories that's the one that we can we have a biggest evidence base for because because we can measure it right so but actually is that what we're after is that what we want so maybe a sort of convoluted answer to your question but yes we have these senior executive leadership capability frameworks yes there is a question mark over the evidence base upon what's upon which they're you know they're founded um but it is good people trying to do good things, trying to identify the sorts of behaviour we want more of in the public sector. And they need to do that. They should do that in terms of accountability for public expenditure, all the rest of it. Where we need to perhaps step up is we need to look at what that evidence base is. And that, you know, that's the call out to the academic world, to people working in thought leadership to think, well, okay, well, how do we, maybe instead of starting with what's the newest theory, or maybe instead of starting with how can I test and prove the theory X, Y, and Z, or how can I make up my own theory? It should be, okay, well, these are the these are the capabilities that the public sector sees they want. How do we actually maybe build an evidence base to support that? How can we be helpful as academics to what people in the public service are trying to do, which is trying to identify those sorts of behaviours that we want more of, because we think stroke no that they are good for um our organizations and by dint of that they are good for our societies yeah i can't argue with that and and so just for those for the uh the listeners to the podcast yeah my my, i wasn't or hopefully so i'll i will retract my statement if i need to 
is around I'm not really going for the intention of the developers of the frameworks being evil, maniacal. Hey, this is the, we'll see who can, we can uh, exclude. It's more, yeah, I get that people are trying to get the best in the public sector. And I think one of the drivers that the public sector has that the private sector doesn't is the public sector is funded with public monies. And so you want to be able to, get more of the best out of people that you can. I guess um, you said it brilliantly that what is the evidence base for that? And that uh, speaks to sometimes the gap between the practitioner world and the academic world. And I think the practitioners are wanting screaming for that evidence based and um, the researchers, at least from what I've seen, will say, well, how do you operationalize what you want me to do? Like to get that data may be almost impossible or, there's, there's such a uh, uh, an issue in trying to get good, reliable data to support what you're talking about that it's just not doable or cost effective. And that's the other thing, I guess, when you're trying to build an evidence base. If you, you know, coming from the public sector myself, uh, in a previous life, that um, dollars are hard to find now to do research of any kind, and so you really have to make a pitch for if you're going to do some work in some some spaces that. Um, there's going to be a long-term payoff. And I, I, would, I would have thought or I would hope that increasing the evidence base around this type of thinking in the public sector is going to have a payoff in the future because evidence bases should be what you base policy making on. This is the thing that I deal with as an advocate in my industry all the time that I see governments, particularly in my state here in Queensland, I'm happy to say this publicly, that think the policy making of the current government is a disgrace it's not based on evidence it's based on something else i don't know what that something else is but um what i see in lots of fields of endeavor that i'm involved in is that a lot of times decisions are made on very sketchy evidence bases and it's almost a philosophical bent that informs decision making or policy uh, as opposed to real evidence and I think one of the problems with evidence, and this is something that you can't escape, is sometimes when you get that evidence, that data, it may not give you the answer that you're looking for, and that's that's one of the, the one of the benefits and um, issues with research is you're not always going to get the answer that you want. But that's the whole point about doing research is to say, well, what what what's the phenomenon, and is it really does it really exist, or is there something else happening? And well, if you know. Yeah, I mean, the whole scientific method, of course, is based upon the idea that you shouldn't be looking for the answer that you want. You should be testing against that, right? So that's the whole yes. basis of, you know, our, our our way of thinking about finding out about the world. So I think that that's, that's, that, that's so I think if you're looking for the answer that you want, then you, you, you've probably got the wrong mindset going into it. I do think that there's, a, there's an interesting point you made about, you know, we make decisions based upon sketchy evidence and kind of, where there is no evidence, decisions still have to be made, right? So you think about, you know, the, we go back to the senior executive leadership capability framework, you know, you try and make it at least benign if you haven't got, you know, uh, uh, you, want, you want to make sure you're not, you know, inadvertently encouraging sure. the wrong sorts of behaviour, sure. right? So you make it benign <laughs> in the absence of evidence. Now, so the, the reality of the world is that leaders are making leaders, individuals in positions of authority are making decisions based upon sketchy evidence or sketchy data all the time. And that in many ways is one of the really challenging aspects of their role. Now, where the evidence does exist and we're still making decisions upon, you know, what we think is a sketchy evidence, well, then you've got a bit of a problem right so this whole evidence-based policing movement which is a really important part of the way institution of policing across the world is organizing it's kind of thinking about what do we do about you know concern x you know or y or whatever the time of the day is you know there is a range of literature out there that can give you a better hint about what you should do and also probably what you shouldn't do now tremendous amounts of work is being done across the world in being able to kind of collate that together and curate it in a way that makes sense so a decision making can go you know I want to do something about you know I don't know um CCTV in uh in uh in you know 
downtown Melbourne because you know that's going to make people feel safe or that's going to stop I don't know drug use on the street whatever your, your issue or choice might be okay so well, let's use CCTV and if they kind of just blithely carry on and do that because it's a gut feel or because you know it seemed to work in this location over there well then you've probably got a bit of a problem because there's a reasonable evidence base out there that is curated by something called the crime reduction toolkit which is based out of the UK that says well actually maybe it works best in car parks but probably elsewhere uh, you might be wasting your time and your money not to mention kind of all the negative impacts it has upon community confidence mass surveillance yada 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 etc etc so I think that there is where there's evidence available public safety leaders all leaders have an have an obligation to make sure that they are abreast of that and you know maybe use it to help guide their decisions even if it's not making the certainly isn't making the decision for them but there are huge swathes of the public safety world huge swathes of public safety leadership in which you you know you do not have the these quote unquote evidence available to to guide your decision and you are madly feeling your way through things and that's just the reality that's just the reality. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't dispute that whatsoever. I think I've, I've been guilty of it. That sometimes you have to make a decision on the best available information you've got, and if you don't sure. have that information, then you've got to go on your experience and all the experience of others to make a call. And yeah, I, yeah, I get it. I mean, look, if we lived in the perfect world, we'd have perfect information sources, and they'd be at our fingertips, and leadership wouldn't be an issue because we'd have all the information ready to go. And I think I don't like the term, but I, I'm warming to the idea that when people talk about leadership as an art form and it's something you learn and craft over time that yeah it could be an art form but it's also informed by information and hopefully your lived experience and this is something that is always of interest to me particularly I tried to initially when I started doing the podcast and the conversations I really wanted to break things up into emerging leaders existing leaders and those leaders that are coming to the end of their career just to see if there were some differences in their views on leadership and the issues that they bring up and anecdotally because I'm still looking at my data now and in fact in six weeks time I've got a presentation about what did I learn in my first hundred interviews so I'm, I'm busily trying to get convert all my podcasts into text and then analyze that text using in vivo to try and get out what is happening in that data and what what I'm I guess what I'm seeing there is and I don't have enough I don't think I have a big enough group yet to make any any concrete statements but I've, I've got observations and I think what I'm observing is if anything experience is a good teacher but can be a bad teacher as well because if you've only any rely on your own experience you may be missing out on the experience of others and that's where I think things like mentoring is a great thing because um so I reached out to you, Vicky, and I said, can you be my mentor? I need someone to bounce some ideas off. And let's say you said yes, and we set something up. Your life experiences will be completely different to mine, and I might blurt out some of the worst kind of crap you've ever heard. You're going, Eric, look, step back and have a think about what you just said. And sometimes you need that critical friend to give you that sort of slap in the back of the head to go, look, think about this shit before you proceed. And I think um, people undervalue that significantly. I think there's um, there's, a, there's an important, a very important role for mentoring, and there's a very important role role for you know peer support networks and critical friends and all the rest of it and there's a in the executive world there's a very important role for coaching of course and coaching isn't about telling you what you should do right coaching is about bound, almost reflecting your challenges back to you helping you uncover um other possibilities helping you uncover you know what your initial focus is helping you plan what your next steps may be holding you accountable also coaching can be incredibly effective for so i think when you think about executive leadership development there are a bunch of things that is not just about you know learning what the latest theories are or you know thinking about what the you know the evidence base says there's a whole bunch of practical stuff that you can do around coaching embedding coaching in a kind of leadership development continuum developing peer support networks which can be as if not more useful than some of the content that's delivered on leadership development programs having been both a student and a teacher <laughs> my I heartily recognise that. Um, yeah, but being able to, you can only really benefit from any of that, right? If you're a reflective practitioner, because if you think you are, you've, you've nailed it, 
and actually you're doing you're helping everyone else you know you don't need any help thanks very much I've got this all sorted well then you're not going to gain anything from those it doesn't matter how how long you spend in a coaching relationship it doesn't matter how long you spend engaging in conversations with your peers you need to approach every conversation really as an opportunity to you know test ideas reflect um, get some critical feedback and I think if we can if we at AIPM can equip our public safety leaders to engage in their leadership work as reflective practitioners and I think we've probably equipped them to get the best out of their lifelong leadership journey yeah no it sounds like it and it's I guess not all industries have this kind of setup and one one thing before I lead into the last theme that I'd like to ask you I won't let you go away without asking this last question just to get just to get your perspective but I think before I get to that one thing to say around a life lived thinking about this stuff or at least this is where I'm heading in my headspace is that when I've asked people, do you think in your industry sector, whatever it is, and I've asked many different people this in many different walks of life, do you think we have fit for future leaders in our industries? 99% of the time, the answer is not yes. And when that's not a yes, for me, it creates opportunities to keep having conversations about, well, if if you don't think we have fit for future leadership, then we need to do more in that space and keep talking and keep getting better at this thing. Because I think if you get to the point where you think you've got the answer and there's no more learning left to do either you're, you're deluding yourself or maybe you've got the, the that formula that everyone's looking for and you need to start marketing it because if that's going to fix all our problems and great but i don't think that exists that there is no magic there is no silver bullet like i'm going back right to the start of our conversation there is no one grand theory that explains what leadership is and the reason for it is all the things that we've been discussing it's nuanced and it's about people if you can accept that leadership is about human beings and we're all flawed and none of us are perfect so if that is a truism that people can accept then um, people will be talking about this long after I'm I'm buried six foot under so I I have no delusions about that but I I reckon if I can add something to that space and keep the conversations happening um, it it keeps the grey matter ticking over because I've I've learned a lot just from this conversation and, and I think that the challenge always with this is that uh, and I want to do this a lot more as the podcast develop is to get people that I may not necessarily agree with to come on and talk to me and challenge my thinking and I can challenge their thinking because I think you get a lot more from the conversation than not. And I don't mean argument, I mean having a, a, a conversation around what this means. There's something you said about whether or not we've got leaders fit for the future. And it just what sparked a thought in my mind is that you know, leaders and their, and their leadership is is impacted by the system in which they operate and also has the capacity to rebuild that architecture, to rebuild that system as well. So there is this kind of dynamic between when you think about the leader, do we have the leadership that's fit for the future? I think about, well, do we have the institutions that are fit for the future? And I think that there's this really interesting dynamic. You might be getting the leadership that you need in your current institution, but whether or not your institution is fit for the future is perhaps a separate question and I think about where you very first started and you spoke to people about your your listeners about the impact the ongoing impact of COVID and at some point you know things will be different and life will feel better again and I think about it would be interesting to look at those institutions that take COVID as an opportunity to rethink their role to bounce forward versus those institutions and I mean that broadly to encompass organizations all organizations who are just kind of hanging on for grim death (laughs) and can't wait to bounce back. So I think it's an interesting, it's an inter, it'll be an interesting kind of observational experiment into the future, those organisations that bounce forward and are therefore perhaps as institutions fit for the future and therefore maybe need to have a different type of leadership for the future. And those organisations that make the choice to bounce back and maybe they do have, they have the leadership that's fit for their institution, but maybe not fit for the future, if you see what I mean. Sure. And again, learn something there. I, I never thought about the institutional side of things. I think when you talk about leadership and the context in which it happens, yeah, I think it, that's a massive um that's a massive issue. And, and do we have the right institutions? Wow, that's a whole another series of podcasts we could get into. Um, and we, we won't go down that rabbit hole, but enough to say, yeah, I think I think what you're saying resonates with me. And Vicky, last question, uh, and I ask this in every podcast, so I'd love to get your perspective on this. Um, 
It's a nature versus nurture question. Are leaders born or made? I suspect this might be another one of those questions where I roll my eyes. And That's say, okay. Oh, That's God, okay. Does it That's matter? Right. Um, so, and in many ways, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure it, it matters. But then, you know, I'm coming at it from a, an applied perspective. You know, I think that the um, psychological literature and the developmental um, psychology literature is pretty clear that it's a bit of both. Um, yeah, we are shaped by our genetics, but we're also deeply susceptible to the impacts of our environment so I suspect by extension of our going back to your point that leaders leaders are human beings (laughs) at least at the moment (laughs) um going back to that point then of course it's going to have to be a bit of both right because who we are the way we choose to engage with the world the way we choose to form relationships the activities we choose to engage or not engage in those are all based upon our, you know, the, our, the development of our, our psychology, the development of our personalities, the development of our identities, our sense of self. And so inevitably it has to be a bit of both. I thought that's how you might answer. One, one thing that I found in a podcast I recorded just this week, um, I asked a question and the person said, there's two more bits to that question. I said, what? And he, and he Mike, Mike House, uh, recorded a podcast where he said, it's also about the idea of individual choice do you choose to be a leader do you choose not to be a leader and we all have that capacity to make that choice and then you touched on this a couple of times about being a lifelong learner if leadership is about being born or made and if it is a bit of both then if that lifelong learning element is not there then maybe longer term you'll have less effective leaders if if you choose to turn your brain off and not learn as you go you could face being stuck in a time warp so to speak about your own practice and that that's fine if you choose not to do that but i don't i don't think it bodes well for effectiveness and i don't think there's anyone that plays in these spaces that doesn't learn something at some point whether they're aware of it or not because you can what's that what's the term uh is it tacit learning or that that unconscious learning that you'll do just by living and being a human being whether you recognize that as learning or not i'm not sure but i'm in agreement i think it's a bit of both and there is a lot of literature to say that that's the case i don't think i've had anyone answer it it's the extreme of one or the other but if they did the whole purpose of the question is i'm just interested to hear what people have to say because maybe i'm at the point now where it's like it doesn't matter as long as we've got good leaders or we can develop them however they get there we just want good leadership and that i'm I'm all for that. Vicky, thank you for your time. This has been an awesome conversation. And this is for those listening, me and Vicky had some discussions before all the podcast about how this was going to play out. And this, this was a very interesting conversation. It's made me think about some things and hopefully for those listening, you can draw something from this. So for those listening, I've been speaking to Dr. Victoria Harrington, the Director of Knowledge with the Australian Institute of Police Management. Vicky, thank you for your time. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for having me. No worries. For those listening, this has been Talking Leadership. Thanks for following the podcast and I'll catch you all on the next one. Cheers.